This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. downstairs it was very loud <laughs> okay so let's talk about what we're drinking i have switched drinks from the first episode and i'm now drinking a breakfast stout which has a very terrifying baby on the cover but you're it, mixing it, it's a double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout interesting and, okay well i am now as a present out of my um, blue moon beer what are you drinking the same thing which is the dreaming tree crush red wine and i think it's i think it's a red blend something like that it's delicious if you like red wine so yeah. it sounds very good mm-hmm. what are you drinking i i ran out of red wine i i have been doing the card card bordeaux box wine thing all summer <laughs> um but I'm out. So right now I'm I'm on Cuba Cuba Libres, uh, which is a fancy way of saying uh, rum and cokes. Um, it's fancy because there's there's a lime in it. I don't know if you can see the lime, um, oh. but I'm I'm on my third one. So yes. <laughs> okay. Rapid fire questions. That's yes. what we have to do: is get drunk and ask rapid fire questions. I'll try not to ramble. <laughs> we don't care if you ramble. You're amazing. We're just yeah, recording we're it. <laughs> no, just we've had this conversation. I can't mention names because they probably still listen to my podcast, but there have been a couple authors that will not be invited back in the future because there was not enough alcohol to keep me sober. I mean, drunk during the thing I sobered <laughs> up going, okay, let me ask you a question every three seconds since you have literally, how do you write stories? Because you're not even telling the story of yourself. Okay, rapid fire question. What is your favorite book of all time? The Blue Sword by Robin McKinley. Oh my God. Oh, oh yes. 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 Sorry. Sorry. I love, I love that book so much. So I'm so glad that she said that. I, I was the perfect age when I read it. I, I think it's a book that is like custom written for horse crazy misfit 15 year olds. And I was a horse crazy misfit 15 year old when I read it. And it spoke to my soul and I read it every year. Um, it's the book I've reread more than any other book. And I see something new in it every time. McKinley, Robin McKinley, I think is, is really underrated. I think she's the one of the greatest fantasy writers of the last 30 years. Um, she's fantastic. And, and, um, and that book is my favorite book of hers. Um, yeah, I read. I don't, I, so weirdly, I don't think it's her best book, but I, I think it's the book that speaks to me the most. So I reread it very often. I love it. Which one is? Which one do you think is her best one? Deerskin. Ooh, yes, I read that. I one think too. Deerskin is her best book. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm fangirling. I'm fangirling because I love. Yeah, I noticed I, I love Robin McKinley. Okay. <laughs> I. She's one of the writers who made me want to be a writer. So I, I could. I'm actually, I've, I've drunk enough that I may start crying any minute now. So, but I, I could talk about, I've read everything that she's published. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Hero in the Crown was my the first one I read. Yeah, um, me too. I'll say Blue Sword I loved even more, and I know like that came like after, but I was like, oh, she speaks to my soul. I just love it. And oh. her beauty, her first novel is Beauty, which is a Beauty and the Beast retelling, and there there is fairly good evidence that Disney borrowed a bit without credit. Um, yeah, we we don't we don't really talk about it, but um, and like her fandom doesn't really talk about it, but. Her beauty like loves books and loves reading and loves libraries. And if you read her her beauty, um, and then you watch the Disney animated one, and it's like, Disney, what were you doing? <laughs> so I highly recommend Robin McKinley. Read everything. She's great. Okay. So least favorite book. I don't think I can talk about that in public. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to decide. I mean, there's so many books that I start and I don't finish. Um, I, I, can, I can say, for instance, I don't like Jane Austen. I, can't, <gasps> I know. Many folks. Okay, that's like, fine. I can't. Anita I, I, tr I tried. I tried to talk her into well, it. Ah, yeah, she doesn't. Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies is the closest I can go to that because <laughs> it's. It's so, but I'm also, I don't like those kind of movies and like the peer, I'm like, this is fucking get on with it. Like something needs to happen other than what's happening right now. I'm just not that person, but. Can I, can I give you a, some advice, some hints? Can, can I tell you the thing that got me into Jane Austen? Because I also didn't like Jane Austen the first time I encountered Jane Austen because I had a terrible teacher in high school English who was like, this is very serious literature. You have to take this seriously. Um, and I hated it. I hate, it's like, why do I want to read this? We were reading Pride and Prejudice and it's like, this is, it's a book about chicks who want to get married and this sucks. Why would I want to read this? And then I went and watched a bunch of Pawnee Python for the first time. And then I went back to Jane Austen after watching a bunch of Monty Python. It's the same sense of humor. It's the same satire. Go and watch a bunch of Monty Python. Watch all the Monty Python. I could do Monty Python and the Holy Grail and Life of Brian right now, but this and then it's the same. It's coming from the same place. Hmm. Okay. Well, and I'll what, try. I'll try again with the Monty Python thing, but <laughs> it, it's not because she's a bad writer. I just I dislike. But my literally my least favorite book, and I never read past chapter one, was um uh what is it uh el james's oh the 50 shades 50 shades of complete fucking trash <laughs> oh yeah no it's terrible it is terrible writing and yay for her for making millions of dollars well well done but the writing is fucking terrible to me and i'm like i can't do it i just can't do I it just taught jane austen I mean, Jane Austen is satire. This is what they don't teach in high school English, which drives me bananas. I wish they would teach satire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. I, well, they don't do this. At least most high school English that I know of doesn't even have required reading lists anymore. So, mm -hmm. yeah. My daughter um, had to read The Scarlet Letter and do a project on it. And she um, was like, there's movies, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> No, 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 that movie, you need to read the book. You're going to have to read it. I'm sorry. Oh my God. Yeah, because I was like, give me, you know, Easy A, I thought was funny because it came out after my daughter told me this in the movie Easy oh, A. She's like, yeah. if you're going to, 
if you're going to rent the movie, rent the original movie and not the Demi Moore one where she's taking a lot of baths and has a really bad <laughs> Okay, so um, if you can't, if you can't give a, a modern book that you're, because, you know, is there a classic book? So, so, so there's an author, there's a modern author who I, I find reading their work is is kind of compulsive like like there's something about it that you just you have to like I don't stop like like there's a lot of books that I don't like and I'll just stop because life is short um and once I realized that I had permission to stop reading books that I didn't like that was empowering and so I don't do it I, I just stop um but this author I and I, I gotta tell you right I'm not gonna say it I'm not gonna say the name um and I'm really sorry um but there's just something very strange. Like they're not good. They're not good. There was one, there's two books in the series in this duology um, by this author who has written many, many, many books. And, and it just breaks all of my rules for writing a series. Like everything they set up in the first book gets broken in the second book, like all the relationships. And it's so manipulative and it's so awful. And it just drove me bananas. And yet I kept reading because the setup was great. Like the, the underlying, the underlying conflicts were so great that I had to keep reading, even though it was handled so badly that it just drove me bananas. And I'm, that's like the worst big booking that I have ever done in my life right there. So I'm sorry. <laughs> This is this is the the drawback of series writing. Oh my god, you guys are totally frozen. Oh, oh there you are. Oh my god. We're gonna vogue, vogue. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, that's what you were doing. That's what you were doing there. Not surprising. We might have been doing that on purpose. Are you a, a, what kind of writer do you feel you are? Do you plot a lot? Do you pants? Do you outline? What do you do? I'm in the middle. I'm really sorry. I'm in the middle. I got asked this once and, and this poor person was like, I could tell she was looking for advice and I just, I had nothing helpful. I wish I were a plotter. I try really hard. I write outlines. And then I'm writing along, I've got my outline, I'm following my outline, I write. And then I turn to the outline and the outline says, something awesome happens here. <laughs> and I have my, to stop. One and of I'm my like, said, write a better ending. And I was like, I came back to him like, hmm, that doesn't really give me much to go on. <laughs> I'm like, something awesome happens here. And I'm like, yes, yes, something awesome happens here. I have no idea what it is. So the way I have described it, the way I have decided to describe it is, so you take an airplane to a new city and you go to the tourist office and they give you the map, the map that's like sponsored by all the local businesses and things. And it's very colorful and it's got, you know, big streets and the, and the tourist things are like very big. And so, you know, like, you know what you're gonna go see. You're gonna go see the church and you're gonna go see the museum but there's no details. So, so that's what my outlines are like. It's like, I know the broad strokes. I know where I'm going. I'm gonna go to the hotel on Fifth Street. 
and I'm going to go see these three things on my way there. But I have no idea the people I'm going to meet or the restaurants I'm going to eat at. So that that's kind of my version of outlining is that I, I have very I have the, the details that you would find on like the Chamber of Commerce tourist map that you would get from the tourist office, uh, which which will tell me the broad strokes, but not the details. Um, I, I like to know the ending. I usually know where I'm going, but I have no idea what's going to happen on the way there. Yeah, I'm a I'm a full on um, cancer. I, I don't outline at all. Mm -hmm. at all. I can't. And that's totally valid. Like for, for people for whom that works, I have found that I need to know the end. I, like I need to have some idea of where I'm going or else I'll just. No, no, I know the ending of all my stories. I mean, when I think of the story, I know the ending and stuff like that. I just can't sit like it's in my head, but I can't sit down and do it. And I start writing and sometimes I'll think I want to do A and then I get to the point and I'm like, actually that's going to move to like F and this is going to be A instead. And this is how we're going to wind to that place. But I know people are very dedicated to going down this like path they've written for themselves or their characters take over. So they write this whole outline, which basically their characters crunch up and throw back at them and are like, no, I'm going to go do this other thing. Thanks. You know? I've heard some writers say that if, if they outline everything and they know it's going to happen, then there's no point in writing the story. And I've never felt that because like knowing what's going to happen and then playing it out are two different things. Um, but I mean, there's no one way there's, there's a million different ways to do this, to accomplish this. So. I, for me, like, even if you know the pathway, it doesn't mean you have to follow it exactly. You can veer off and go in a new, and because like, I've also heard people like they'll set up one pathway and then they get to the point and they completely go in a different direction and then they reroute a new plan. So even if you set out a plan, you don't, you can still change it. It doesn't have to be set in stone. No, it's I true. always it's discover things. Yeah. yeah, there's diehard Scrivener people that like to plot everything out. <laughs> no, not at all. I only use Scrivener to like, to like at least like organize what I do know already. Uh, Cause I have like ADD. So like I have to like organize my crazy chaos writing process. <laughs> But then also the part of me that sits there and trying to write an outline, I go start crazy as well. So it's it's a weird balance between the two. Do you have a world building book for the kitty world? Do you how do you keep track of everything 14 books later? I, I don't. I wish I did. <laughs> I I have because um, the thing is is when when I when I wrote the book and I didn't think it was going to be a series, so I didn't take any notes. Um, and then I wrote more books and I'm like, well, this isn't going to go more than four books, is it? Surely not. Uh, and then it did. Um, so I, I pulled together as many notes as I could. And, and I, ha I have the, the notes I ended up pulling together are like physical descriptions, like making sure I kept physical descriptions of characters consistent. Um, but then I, I was very lucky. I have a friend who was a fan of the books and also a trained historical researcher. Oh. And so I, I sent him like e-files e of all of the books. And there's a lot of times where I just ask him, like, how many times has Kitty been shot? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he will come back with the answer. Um, so, so that has been very valuable. It's just sometimes having an outside person to go to and say, 
when was the first time that these two characters actually encountered each other? And because as, as I remember as a baby writer, I used to be astonished. I would read interviews with Stephen King where he'd be like, yeah, I have no memory of writing that book. Um, and granted, like he was grappling with drug addiction and other things like that. But I still, I couldn't believe like, like how could you not remember writing a book? It turns out once you've written like 25 books, you don't actually remember sometimes like writing a book. You don't, you're like, oh my God, I have no memory of this. And it turns out that's normal. That's like totally normal, <laughs> like not to remember. Because um, I'm, I'm an editor and I always giggle when other like readers just who just read for fun, they're like, why didn't the editor catch this or this? And it's like, writing is so complex that you're thinking like a thousand different things at one time that it is very easy to miss things well and you do a brain dump there's like yeah. this memory dump that happens like once you've finished a book it's like it's all gone now it's all gone and you've read it so many times by then you're mm -hmm. like okay I, I'm glad I accomplished this. It's a bad memory. It's out in the world. And like, let's move on to the next thing. I, I think also, you know, fans have a different emotional or mental yep. or even sometimes spiritual attachment to work. So a fan yep. will cling to one, you know, line. And it's, you see this in TV too, is that lines will be set. Like, you know me, I repeat movie lines yeah. all the time. And um, like Galaxy Quest, one of my favorite lines from Galaxy Quest was, did you ever even watch the show? Like it is die hard, one of my favorite lines and not a lot of people necessarily do that, but the things that meant the most to them, they do. The thing is, is that might not have been what meant the most to you or you remember about it or the part that you had enthusiasm for. So you wrote a scene to tie Kitty into being shot again and whatever. And you're done with that and then that was the major moment for somebody that they read and kitty got shot by this person and blah 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 and you're going because that? my memory isn't just that scene it's everything that i was thinking and everything that i wanted to encompass and everything that went into writing that entire book um and you know the fact that all of this other stuff was going on in my life when i was writing that book yeah, there's so much other data going in on that in my own brain. And, and my brain does kind of do these brain dumps. Like, like, like I absolutely was entirely present and living in that book when I was writing it. But once it's done, it's like psh, brain dump. And then I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. Exactly. I feel so let's talk about fans for a moment. Um, have you, 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 have you had fans dress up as your character? Not really. And, and this is the thing I've had people talk to me about it. And the, the thing is, is that my characters kind of just look like normal people. <laughs> you know, like I don't really have characters who, who would look um, different enough to, to distinguish themselves as characters. I have had tattoos. Uh -huh. um, I've, I've had people do tattoos of my my work as a whole, um, you know, not necessarily characters, but, but Kitty's radio station is KNOB. And I had a fan who did a logo for Canopy, and that kind of went out into the world. And so I've had fans who did tattoos of Canopy and just the whole radio station and wolves, um, particularly in association with the radio station. So yeah, there, there's there's been some stuff out there, and it's it's so flattering. Um, 
is it wild when you're in person and the person comes up and goes look what i did i i haven't actually had one in person i've just had pictures i've, I've been tagged on things and i've had pictures but i haven't had one in person yet um requested you to like because i've actually seen some authors where they're like fans are like i want to get a tattoo of one of your quotes but they, they want the author's signature so <laughs> the author will write it out online so that you're able to capture the image and then give it to the tattooist as that ever i haven't had that okay. yeah i haven't had that i like my i have great hands like i'm gonna just say that is 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 like like my my fans kind of generally know what I meant and then know what what the world is and and so so much of that world is just about like your own personal strength and stuff so they're they're not necessarily looking for my validation which is great like I, they don't need my validation right they just whatever the book's meant to them like that's the important part um so I mean that's what that's what's been great is like they reach out to me and they say hey this this really meant a lot to me and and I'm able to connect with them and say I'm so happy that that meant something to you, um, but they don't necessarily need my like stamp of approval on it, which is which is the way it should be, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Do you um have you done a lot of book signings and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love conventions. I, I've, I've done quite, until this year, like I don't want to get into that, but like this year has been driving me a little bit crazy because there were all these conventions I was supposed to do and I didn't do any of them and I'm really sad about it. Um, but yeah, I love conventions. I love, I love book, um, I love book events. I love book festivals. I love book signings. I've done all of that, yeah. What about your work being turned into TV or movies or where's that at? That's another really big question. Um, I, I'm not, I don't want to say. Uh, it, so so publishing has changed a lot in 20 years. It turns out the whole like TV movie world has changed a lot in 20 years as well. Um, the way that things go from being a book to being a TV show or a movie has changed um, from what it was 20 years ago. And I'm kind of navigating that right now. Um, but I, yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's happening. Um, Is Kitty possibly coming to us on on on, on, on a, a streaming show? There, there's nothing definite right now. Okay. That would be pretty epic, though. That there, would be cool. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. You know, <laughs> I can't say anything for sure. They're definitely <laughs> surging as an idea. You know, we, we as authors, I feel, all have little um, eccentricities that we do as writers. What are your eccentricities? I, this is one of those where I feel like somebody else would probably be more qualified. Watch the YouTube to see the look I just got. <laughs> I feel like somebody handed me a list of questions she didn't want asked if I'm asking all this. <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I have no idea what my eccentricities are. I was actually thinking about this recently. It's like, like, I don't think it's an eccentricity, but maybe somebody else does. Well, I don't a, know. <laughs> editors that come back to you and go, hey, maybe stop having your character shrug all the time. Like, well, okay, so, so the one that I actually, there's a post-it note on my monitor right now that says no nodding. 
Characters oh, are not allowed to nod. One of our editors, Jen, that's one of the three. She has three, nodding, shrugging, and what's the other one? Jen, smirking, for me, smirking. Like, so So I suddenly noticed that like nobody nods. Like, like when was the last time you saw somebody actually nod in real life? I, I use it in my um, erotica writing for one of these. That's when I use the nodding. When a guy's doing that to a girl, because there's that. But is, is that a nod or is that a chin tip? Is it like, oh yeah, oh I, yeah. I've never used the words chin tip in a book. Maybe it <laughs> but is, like nodding, like I actual said, like, I yeah, yeah, yeah. In her direction, but there there is a lot of. Yeah, I, you know, that's a good point. It's like, how often do you actually nod in a day? Nobody I, nods. In um, real life, nobody nods. <laughs> I, I've done it like once in my whole life. <laughs> I think there is a slight if somebody's talking you know it's interesting because zoom has changed conversations yes because you can't see you just nodded yeah, I, 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 you know, <laughs> the pandemic is making me nod more because it's like you know you're limited to like your because I don't know like talking to someone on the video is not the same as being in front so they can't see your whole body so and then you don't want to have your hands like all in your face because you only have such a limited yeah so i'm like here like yeah nodding i'm nodding i'm nodding but it, yeah but if pre-pandemic i don't think i nod excessively no it's true but i also think like when somebody's talking especially in a business meeting and you're trying to confirm something if you're in person you go yeah or you know you yeah. go okay but if you do that on zoom sometimes it stops the whole conversation from fucking happening because they're like what and you're like no i was just acknowledging what you said so you do a lot of <laughs> i also was doing yeah. fun things until i learned that um in singapore because we have international offices this is not a good sign always <laughs> nope what does it nope. mean I don't know, but our Singapore office is like, you guys need to stop doing thumbs up. And oh. I forget what they said it meant, but I was like, cool to know, cool. Yeah, I heard in other countries doing this is not a good thing. Oh no, no. yeah, no, no, no. I don't remember where, but yeah, you can't do an England. Yeah, is it England? Okay, yeah, for the- for the A lot of European countries, that's-, that's so yeah no signs in england guys to the no thumbs up no, stop no, thumbs no. upping no so guess what we're going back to nodding <laughs> and shrugging that's you know <laughs> showing confirmation and showing some not understanding some doubting what the person's saying but you can't have a person do that all the time in the book mm -hmm. like they they can't nod the other my one of my biggest pet peeves that i've seen is the said he said she said they said then he said back and i'm like Oh, that's how I can tell that person didn't get a hold of an editor because everybody said everything. Oh, well, yeah, no, that's for sure. <laughs> so, so you have nodding that occurs in your book. Well, I don't because I cut it out. Well, you had nodding occur. <laughs> what do you think of covers? Have you been an instrumental part of your cover art or have you been like, it's marketing, you guys knock yourselves out? No, yeah, no. Um, so yeah, the the first Kitty book, Kitty in the Midnight Hour, was not the cover I would have picked, but it was the right cover. Um, yeah, I I don't trust my own instincts on covers, uh, just because I sort of like 
hyper-realistic, like this is what's actually happening in the book. And it turns out that's not, those don't make good book covers. Uh, book covers are advertisements. Like they're not supposed to actually depict what's in the book. They, they are to grab a reader's eye. And, and so I always try to put myself in the place of a reader. Like what, what do I respond to as a reader? And, and you want visceral images. It's like you want, uh, you want an image that's gonna grab the attention and tell the reader what they're gonna get. And so that, that first kitty book, uh, you know, the image came out. They, they actually did ask me and, and what we just, my contribution on that first book was the pink ribbon on her braid. Um, they're like, well, we could do this. And it's like, well, let, you know, how about we just do a thing? Um, so I've, I've had influence. Like I've had, like that's one of what, what we were talking about earlier. Let's like what, one, one of the, the things that gets told about traditional publishing is that authors don't have influence on their covers. It turns out we do sometimes. Um, that I, I have been asked about a lot of my covers and I was able to give input on a lot of my covers. And, you know, and some of them were, it's like, you know, a back tattoo and the corset and lacing and all of this, that's too much. Like take out a couple of things. You, you just, back tattoo by itself is okay. Corset lacing, that's okay. But putting it all together is just too much. Um, but that was an urban fantasy thing. Um, like, you know, the, the urban fantasy tropes for covers, uh, they, they just started putting all of these things in. And it's like, you know, you don't need everything. You just need one or two to signal what the book is actually about. So I was actually able to have some influence on that. You can tell I'm on my third drink. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm rambling now. Um, well, I think that advertising covers is a, a good point because we say that in the publishing thing is people come to me and one of my, <laughs> I always tell people, Fabio was on 466 covers. Yes. Not one of those fucking books described Fabio on the inside of that book. Yes. You know, and so... And when you're doing it, when people say to me, oh, well, the girl's hair is red, though. Doesn't matter. I'm like, I don't give a flying crap the girl's head is red. Doesn't matter. Right now, the proportion to the man on the cover, this is the cover. This is the cover you're getting. Yeah. So, yeah, there have been so many books where it's like, that's not the cover I would have picked, personally. But the cover that they put on it was exactly what was needed to sell the book. So, so there are cases where it's like, yeah, authors should probably not have input on their covers because they don't know the marketing. Like they don't know, you know, we, we always say, you know, don't judge a book by the cover, but it's like all of us have picked books because of the cover. You know, all of us have, have gone through the bookstore and it's like, that that's the cover I want. That's the, the art that intrigues me. Um, you know, the Ghosts of Sherwood and the Heirs of Loxley are such a perfect example. Like those are not the covers I would have picked, but I've had so much feedback that those are such great covers. You know, they're really kind of abstract yeah. and iconic. Um, and, you know, people who look at those books know exactly what they're going to get. So even though those aren't the ones that I would have picked, they, they represent the books and they're, and they're, it's about advertising. Like book covers are about advertising. It's not about what's actually in the book. My you say never judge a book by its cover because every book gets judged by it's its judged cover. by its cover, yeah. You know, if it's a My, cover, we'll put it down. Yeah. Like I know. can I can list off a whole bunch of books that I picked because the cover 
look different than everything else that was out there or there was something about it that just was like oh that that's what i want right now um and that's why i picked up the book um no me too i used to go um back when we could go out in public really um it, you know to barnes and noble and they would have and this is how i found a lot of authors that i actually wouldn't have found more easily obviously kindles away but i used to go to the discount books part of Barnes and Noble when the books were on sale for like $4.95 or $6.98 and stuff. And I just walk and whatever cover grabbed my attention, I'd pick it up. And then, then I'd read the blurb, which is a whole other topic about having an appropriate <laughs> fucking blurb for your book. We read a blurb last night or two nights ago. There was a book and we got a blurb and I'm reading the blurb and it's a fantasy book. And it's talking about this girl who's going on this adventure and her cohorts on the adventure. And then it says, until she runs into this gorgeous guy. It said, gorgeous guy. And I was like, and, and Vanessa didn't believe me. She's like, what? And I'm like, no, look, see, it says gorgeous guy. And I was like, but you know what though if you the book came out in like I want to say 2010, 2011, and it was marketed towards YA. So it's like, well, they kind of no, 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 <laughs> no, no. I mean, I thought it was horrific, but I was like, well, you know what you're gonna get. That could have telling you what you're gonna get. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so can't wait for that gorgeous guy to show up <laughs> and save the day. Yeah, I was just like, okay. So then you get the blurb. So that's what you get. You get grabbing the people yeah. at the cover. Then you get the blurb to suck them in, and does it interest them enough? to then take it and go, I'm going to try to buy this book. And I used to think that wasn't a thing. And no, that was very much a it's thing. It's totally a thing. And and, and the, the one other thing beyond that is like, are people talking about this book? Mm -hmm. um, is, is word of mouth. Uh, word of mouth was a thing 30 years ago and word of mouth is still a thing. And um, that's the thing that you can't buy and you can't plan for um, and you can't predict. Um, my novel that's coming out next year is called Questland. And the cover art for it is brilliant. And and it's on Amazon right now. So Quest Questland. Questland. Um, and it, it's not anything I ever would have come up with on my own. In fact, I we we spent a lot of time talking about what we wanted the cover art to be. And I pushed back a little bit. Like I had I had a bunch of ideas for what I wanted it to be. And the editor had a bunch of ideas for what he wanted it to be. What ended up happening was was totally the artist. Like I give all credit to the artist whose name, of course, I'm completely spacing on right now. Um, but we're all just looking at this cover art, like this is amazing cover art, um, and it's going to suck people in, and it's going to be great. You have a copy near you? Hmm. You have a copy of it anywhere near that you can flash up? <sighs> no. I can run and get it. No, oh, in no, two no. seconds. I was just, just curious. People are watching this and or listening and can Google. <laughs> okay. Questland. It's on Amazon. Questland okay. by Carrie Vaughn on Amazon. You will see the cover art. We're supposed to be doing this like cover art reveal thing, but they haven't gotten back to me yet. So, um, but it's on Amazon, like like right now, and and it's it's fantastic and it perfectly encapsulates what's what the book is about. But it's not something I ever could have come up with on my own. So. So cover art is something that that I I am happy to defer on because there are so many other people out there who are so much better at it than I am that like if, if it were up to me to come up with cover art, like it, that would not be good. 
There'd be lots of horses. Just... <laughs> There'd be lots of beautiful. No, just kidding. She has a horse picture behind her. That's what I was talking about. I know, and the blue sword. Yeah, and the blue sword. Lots of horse pictures. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. Lots of horses. Okay. We have reached the end of this episode, which oh is goodness. sad because we could drink and hang out a lot more. And I hope, I really hope, one, I get you back on this podcast in the future. And two, that when the COVID is gone and somehow I find out you're going to be at a convention because I missed all my conventions too. There were literally 14 of them and they didn't get to go. So yeah, world blew up, still blowing up. It's actually blowing up worse now than it was before. Um, I hope we get to meet in person. You are fantastically fun and amazing, oh, and it was so you. enjoyable speaking with you. Thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much for all the information you gave us. We we're very grateful. You are thank really you for having me on. Yeah, I. I You're like, thank you for the. <laughs> I am like I. You know, anyone who takes time to just you know just talk about what they do. I mean, I'm always grateful. I want all the knowledge. All the knowledge. Vandivar. Okay. I can just talk. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We're going to have you back and you'll be able to do that. Okay. okay. Right. How do people find you? Uh, um Also, Carrie Vaughn on Facebook. Yay. And my blog. Yeah. But CarrieVaughn.com is probably the easiest. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of the group. We're going to be working about this literary race. I'm Eric Williams. It was so wonderful.